welcome to episode 24, hosted by your host, uh, Capjack F, uh, please say that F. Um, now this episode, we're going to observe a moment of silence for 24 seconds at the 8 minute mark, and for 8 seconds at the 24 minute mark. And, you know, speaking of having a moment of silence, you know, let's, let's have a moment of silence for, for George Floyd. All right, thank you for observing um, the moment of silence for George Floyd. Uh, situation was very unfortunate. And it was very unfortunate and it was even more sad when uh, we found out that um, it had to deal with uh, someone that was close to Stephen Jackson, um, the original Captain Jack, the original Cap Jack. Um, it's still because, you know, these things, these situations, you know, they impact all of us. And we realize it could be any one of us. But what keeps this world, you know, moving is positive people, you know, strong people. You know, I know there are a lot of good people out there because if there weren't good people out there, this, this world would be, you know, a million times worse, you know. But with that being said, you know, we have to treat how everybody want to be treated. And, you know, fortunately that doesn't happen as often as it should. And, and I know if you're just a human being in general that it was tough watching that video. It was tough observing and seeing what transpired. And, you know, it was just, it just hurts. You know, if you're a human being and you've seen that, I know it has somewhat, you know, affected you in a negative way. And, you know, all we can hope for is, you know, these, these things to eventually stop. You know, I wanted to talk about Kobe this podcast, but, you know, it would be too much of an emotional podcast, you know, um, because of, you know, the situation going on in Minnesota. And I don't know if I'll be able to get into some, you know, productive activities. So that's why I, I just, you know, Kobe, I could talk about him, you know, all day and every day, but I, I believe, you know, we know what Kobe's capable of, you know, what Kobe has done. So you know, I could definitely get into that another time. Um, but on some positive vibes, you know, I want to wish some of my bros a happy birthday and happy belated to one of my boys whose uh, B-Day was on May 15th. And happy birthday to my other brother, uh, my other brother whose birthday was on on this past Tuesday. You know, y'all be blessed and keep doing what y'all doing out there, you know. But what I did during my idle time, I, I went back and, and and watched the Knicks versus Rockets game seven, and you know that shit was painful, and it hurt, cause the Knicks should have won that game, and. And the easy thing to say is that the Knicks should have won that game was because, uh, well, the easy thing to say was that John Starks had a a bad shooting game, and, and that's why they lost the game, and and he was two for eighteen, and he was about one for ten in the fourth quarter, 
you know, the first half of that game, they had so many unnecessary turnovers, you know, really pressing the issue. Ewing was getting me upset with the passes, and, and the whole team was looking very shaky. And, I mean, the Rockets, they had similar moments as well, but that don't mean it's okay to turn the ball over because they are. You know, it's like when your parents, that everyone else, um, when you tell your parents you did bad on a test and then you tell them that everyone else did bad on a test too and you tell them not to worry and then your parents tell you the same thing, like they don't care that everyone else did bad on the test because they want to know that you did good on the test. So it was one of those situations. But the second half, Ewan was showing out. You know, he made some hard-ass shots, yo. Like, some real tough shots. Like, I was impressed because some of those shots were very tough. But it's also game seven, and he knows how important it is to show up. And I will say, though, the Knicks should have won that series. They were the better team. I mean, the teams were so evenly matched that every game was close. You know, no blowouts. All games went down to the wire. There was no blowouts. Exactly. Every finals, I feel like, should be that way. Every finals game should be close. Uh, just a matter of two or three possessions to determine the game. You know, that's some real shit, you know. But all in all, if the Knicks had cut down their turnovers, they have a better shot at winning that game. You know, if, if Starks has somewhat of a decent game, they win that game. But Pat Riley also made some decisions in the end that if he changed it, they could have won that game. You know, it sounds stupid, but the Knicks lost that game more than the Rockets won it. But, but the Rockets, you know, they did what they were supposed to do after Jordan retired, man. And, like, they maxed out their capabilities and, and they snatched two championships. You know, credit to them for that. You got to give them credit for that. But the Knicks should have won that game. And I remember seeing Craig Anthony and Anthony Mason's, you know, that, that almost tripped me up with the Greg's, Greg's last name being Anthony and Anthony Mason's first name being Anthony. So, yeah, there was, or it could have been Charles Oakley. Like, there's two of them players that they died for the loose ball and they went out of bounds, you know, chasing the loose ball. And I was just like, yeah, man, that's the shit I want to see. You know, the Cavs and Warriors game, Seven was amazing, but the first six games were basically blowouts for the most part. But this Rick's, the Knicks versus Rockets game, everything was hanging in the balance, and every game was decided by eight points or less. I know this is very random. It's very random, but I, I want to give LeBron credit for for his game seven performances. And every game I've seen of of Bron James. And playing game seven, he has showed the fuck up in the finals. And there's no question if he could have, would have, should have done more. You know, he left it all out there. And I just wanted to mention that because people say that a lot about LeBron not showing up. But I think a lot of players have had those moments. Like Kobe, second half, game seven versus Phoenix. Uh, Harden versus first game six. Uh, Curry has his moments as well. KD, when he was on OKC, he had a couple of back-to-back -back shooting 10 for 31 stretch for the Warriors, I think game five and six or game six and seven. But LeBron has showed up in game six and game sevens, you know, I will give him props for that. You know, we're nearing the eight-minute mark and I'm preparing for uh, the moment of silence for Kobe for 24 seconds.
Thank you for preserving that. Oh, there was 24 seconds of silence for Kobe Bryant. But uh, back to what I was saying. Um, yeah, man. You know, game 7, LeBron has showed up on those Game 7s. I, I feel like a lot of players have had a lot of bad Game 6s from what I'm seeing. Like game 6s is, is the game that really messes them up. But, but back to the Knicks versus Rockets. Despite the Knicks having all those turnovers, the game was basically tied at halftime. And that's the thing, man. Like, the motherfuckers play defense. Like, both teams were playing hard as fuck. But what really hurt the Knicks in the fourth quarter, well, at least from the beginning of it, or in the beginning of it, was when the Rockets shot an air ball and then Oakley stepped out of bounds with the ball by mistake. And then they gave the Rockets the ball back. And not only that, because then Oakley turned the ball over again after another Rockets missed shot and he's trying to throw an outlet pass. But it went right to Sam Cassell, and he took a dribble, mid-range pull-up, spank. And a couple of plays later, the Knicks turned the ball over, and, and bam, a clear path foul. And then Sam Cassell switches two free throws. So, just like that, a, a three-point deficit turned into a seven-point deficit. You know, what's wild was the fact that that wasn't even the Rockets' biggest lead of the game of eight points which was until it was about three minutes left in the game and, and Vernon Maxwell hit a three-pointer, which was a potential dagger. And he got buck wild in terms of celebrating and then he was jumping and he fell on the floor and he got kneed in the head, but he played it cool. You know, but it was an eight-point lead in that kind of game. Like those grounded out games, it feels like a 15-point lead. But... You know, back to those Oakley mistakes, even though he made those mistakes, he still had a solid game, man. He did. And the hard and effort will be forever appreciated. You know, sometimes I wish I was born about, you know, 10 to 12 years earlier because I feel like the 60s and 90s were, were more authentic, you know. And once I feel as if the corporations were able to get an understanding of, of what's going on in this world, you know, the, the authenticity of, of whatever it is with basketball, sports, fashion, it sort of goes away. But back to Oakley, I feel like Oakley's jersey should be retired with Pete Ewan. You know, I do feel like he was an important component to the team. I, I know we didn't win a championship, but the 90s teams had a lot of great memories. It provides a lot of great memories to, to New York fans. Even a lot of heartbreak, too, but a lot of memories because of the grit and passion that they displayed. But like I said, man, once the operation got a hold of what's popping or whatever that is, it loses essence, whether it's sports, music, and fashion. Like Fashion Week in New York at once upon a time was really popping. City would be lively during those two weeks. And all you'd have to do was step outside into the city and the vibes were amazing. And, and the ambiance in the city was even just magnificent. And now everything, for the most part, is private and indoors and probably more costly for the pockets. You know, and, you know, going to the NBA tickets, the NBA ticket prices, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, tickets were more consumer friendly for, for like the blue, the blue collar people and all of that, you know, the people that hustle and bustle, provide for the family and put some money aside to go for the games. It was more favorable. But now, 
and prices is through the roof. Now I'd be damned if someone didn't play with these expensive, with how expensive these tickets are, and with the whole old management bullshit. Like I'm like, if you're playing three times the prices of what it was before, I'm sort of need y'all to play, man. But being in New York and knowing how much the Garden is respected, I know that if the players healthy, certain percent they're gonna play. So I don't be that stressed out about it. But I still be worried until. Until the game started, like, oh, no, what if they don't play? Or oh, what if it's a last-minute DMP, you know? For the most part, players love coming to the Garden and kicking the Knicks' ass. So I don't be too worried about players sitting out in the Garden, you know? But back to the game, though. It's about six minutes left. The game is close. I'm thinking Starks went two for 18. And, like, it's throughout the game. But the worst was yet to come because he was only one for nine. With about six minutes after going the game. So despite him missing all the shots, the game was still close with within two possessions. But in the last minute of the game, he took about four shots and missed all of them. And he missed all of his three tools. I think he was about 0-4-11. But what really sucks is the fact that he probably thinks about it every single day and hears about it all the time. But, you know, to be honest, I know I love saying to be honest, it's just my shit, you know. But if it wasn't for Starks, the Knicks probably wouldn't be in the finals. He wouldn't be. You know, plus he had knee surgery that year and he busted his ass to get back and continues to bust ass. You know, no one talks about like the effort he made just to make sure he could lace him up and continue the season. You know, shout outs to Starks for battling through those injuries and staying resilient. You know, it's thoroughly appreciated. You know, I'm more upset at Pat Riley because I realized Hakeem had about five fouls with about three minutes left. And we should have got Hakeem fouled out. You know, instead of having John Starks taking all those shots and firing away, we should have found a way to get to the basket, whether it's Starks or Ewing in the post. Something where we make the referees, you know, blow the whistle. But instead, we got two perimeter-oriented and the crazy thing about the, for the, for the most part about John Stark's shots were the fact that they were mostly all good shots. You know, shots that you're okay with him taking because they're good shots. But the thing was, like, you know, sometimes you don't got it, man. Sometimes it's not your night. You know, but the major thing about, well, I guess it was a little bit too late, but once Pat Riley rolled out, I was like, let me try some other shooters in the fourth quarter. And the moment he did, they switched back-to-back threes to make it a little more interesting. But, you know, the Rockets, they made their free throws since they want to be all clutch and shit. They're called Clutch City. That shit was tough to watch. But I had to do it. Now, Riley, like I said, he was at fault, too, for not trying to get Hakeem fouled out. But I also think, like, he should have tried to find another high hand. But, you know, I got one of... I got a John Starks basketball card or a Park Powell where... The, the basketball card, it says that Pat Riley said, you know, John Stokes is, is his ride or die. And um, Pat Riley wasn't lying because I've seen it firsthand. Two for 18, game seven. As bad as he was playing, he said, I'm rocking out with you, bro. Uh, you helped us you helped us get to this point. So Pat Riley was a man of his word. So I, I will respect that. 
you know. But at the same time, I wish Pat Riley really never left us. You know, I wish he stayed because he is a basketball genius and he is one of my favorite basketball minds. And after watching that game, I have been waking up with a chip on my shoulder with something to prove. And I have, I felt like I've avoided watching that game to its entirety my whole life. But I'm glad I did it. You know, it made me stronger. You know, it was more painful than me watching the Knicks lose to the Spurs in the 1999 NBA Finals as a little kid. And I saw that shit live. But because the Knicks actually had a chance to win the championship against the Rockets, it hurts even more. Like, we actually had that shit right there. Like, we lost in five to the Spurs. But I feel like we should have lost at six, but we lost at five. But we had a three-two lead, also. So that's what makes it more tough. Like I went back in time just to experience some pain, but I felt like it has made me a little bit stronger when it comes to all this sports stuff, you know. But when it's about thirty seconds left in the game and John Starks missed another key three. No, I seen the pain in John Stark's face. Like I felt the pain. You know, I low key wanted to give him a hug. Actually, I wanted to give the whole team a hug because I know that team wanted to win as bad as the fans wanted to win the game, and that's what the fans care about too. I know he gets a bad rap for that game, but he is appreciated for sure. And Derek Harper bowled the fuck out. He was really efficient that series, man. And just playing Game Seven getting buckets, forcing steals with a smile on his face. Like, he was smiling the whole time. Like, this is easy money for me. I could do this shit all day. And maybe, I know this is like about, what, 26 years ago? But maybe, you know, he should have had the ball more. Maybe we should have, you know, explored the other scores we had on the team and all the ball, man. But it's cool. You know, you got to you gotta sometimes empty the clip and, and roll with the, with the guns that got you there, you know. So, Starks, Ewan, Oakley, Mason, and you gotta roll with them, man. But one of the most exciting things in that game to me that I enjoyed watching was Hakeem's footwork and agility, Ewan's post-up game. But what was really exciting to me, to be honest, was when Anthony Mason grabbed the rebound and he dribbled the rock down the court like a fucking stallion. Like, he was really majestic with the rock. Like, he pushed the pace. You know, I, I was surprised he had that quickness in him. Like, I, he, so, he looked so buff and, and brute. You wouldn't think that he had that agility and that speed to push the ball down the court like that, but he did. And, and he knew what he was doing, too, when he got the ball down the court. He knew when to lay it up, when to pass it. You know, he went from a third-round draft pick. And they don't even have third round draft picks anymore to playing overseas. Coming back to the league when the sixth man of the year and then leaving the league and minutes played for two straight years. Eventually made the all-star team as well. You know, so shout outs to Anthony Mason and rest in peace to Anthony Mason as well. A Nick legend for sure. You know, uh, you know, one thing that I realized, you know, the way people described, you know, the Knicks in the 90s is that the Knicks were all brute and no skill. Like, now nah, they had skill and hard. You just don't win 65 games. I mean, 60 games and 55 games with no skill. It's just not possible. 
You know, so I've seen the skill that Anthony Mason has. Seen Ewing skills. You know, these players are talented. Are they as talented as the players now? Probably some of them. Some of them probably not. But some of them, I would say yes. Like Anthony Mason is talented enough to play in this era. Patrick Ewing, yes. John Starks, yes. Derek Carpy, yes. You know, some of these players now might have ability to do better than the players. I mean, the players of this era, they might be better at doing more things. They might have the ability to do more things, but the players from back then, they're good. They're, they're, they'll have a niche of what they'll be sufficiently better at one or two things than the players now, if that makes any sense. But yeah, that Knicks, that, that Knicks teams from the 90s, they had skill and they had heart, man. I would love to see them compete in this era. But on some real, man, I hate I hate Akeem Olajuwon for tipping that shot against Starks in Game Six of the Finals. Cause if you don't tip that shot, that shot was going in, and if the shot goes in, Knicks win the chip. They win the fucking chip, man. Not only that, but Starks never has that nightmare of a game, and if he never has a nightmare of a game, I bet you his jersey retired. His judge would be retired if Akeem didn't tip the rock because that shit was going in. You know, it's crazy because if, if Starks hits that shot from 86, 84 to make 87, 86, not only do he, his judge retire, he won the championship. His legacy is uh, forever amazing. Like, it's amazing as it already is. It's already his story of, you know, not being drafted and then being signed by the Warriors and then playing in other leagues, CBLs and overseas and coming back and being a dog for the Knicks. But it would have been completely cemented in greatness. Like, there would be no stains. Like, he would be known for being erratic, but there would be no if ands, or maybes about if his judges should be retired. You get what I'm saying? And, and you know, he played Valley through games two to six. You know, so, like I said, John Stalks, good looks. I'm going to say thank you. And um, I'm, I'm going to leave that alone for now. And sometimes, you know, people come up to me, not, don't, not come up to me, but like in basketball discussions online or sometimes in person. No one really comes up to me. That's some bullshit. I'm lying. But when people are like, yo, don't you think Hakeem is underappreciated? I'll be like, yeah, but so? What am I supposed to do, feel bad for him? After he made the whole NYC sat in the press? Like, I know how nice he is. He is in my top 10. His footwork is amazing. His IQ is amazing. Got a soft touch around the basket. You know, has a great feel for the game. You know, Kobe went to train with him. Um, Amari Stoudemire, Dwight Howard went to train with him. But I don't feel bad at all. And y'all know why. I think I spent about the first 20 minutes this podcast explaining why I won't feel bad for him. And um, we all coming up on the 24th minute mark. And I would like to observe another moment of silence for Kobe. And let's do it. So thank you guys for you know, observing the moment of silence for Kobe again. And, um, Back to Akeem, you know, a guy that Kobe had a lot of respect for, trained with him in the summertime, 
what led to a lot of other players training with Akeem in the summertime. I think once people see Kobe go to Akeem for for knowledge and to improve his game, and, and they surprise a lot of players because a lot of players know how prideful Kobe is. And for him to say, you know what, I'm going to improve my game and go to Akeem. And, you know, that is out, sort of inspired a chain reaction. Because I remember when Stoudemire, his knees started giving up on him a bit. He knew he had to adjust his game. And he really improved his post game after he went to Akeem. Then I remember Dwight Howard went there. So, you know, Kobe, I think, realized, Kobe helped realize to other players, he helped. You know, players realize how much of a student of the game Kobe is that if he can learn this from someone else and learn that from someone else, I'll make him a better player. And I think that's what inspired other players to take moves from other players, which is cool because it's just making everyone better without being, I guess, too prideful about learning something from someone else, thinking, like, it's not cool. Like, oh, man, I took that move from him. That's not cool. You're cheating. But instead, you know, you see people that are learning and taking moves to their benefit. Like, I remember when Kevin Durant started doing the Dirk fadeaway and people were getting upset. Like, hey, why is KD doing that? That's a Dirk move. But, hey, you got to take some of somebody's move and make it work for you, too. And that was after Kobe had seen Akeem. So you've seen the influence of Kobe, you know, learning from other players and other players decided to do the same. And I feel like if you're seeking knowledge, it's always there for you. You just got to be willing to learn it and, and go get it. And I think Kobe definitely inspired that. But like I said, back to Akeem, you know, I'm not going to feel bad for him. I'm not going to come to his defense for anything. I was never a great defender anyways. It's not really my forte. But that shit still hurt a little bit, man. It still do, because the 94 chip should have been ours. And the funny thing is, like, even though I rooted for the Rockets against the Warriors, because I like James Harden, after watching that Game 7 of the NBA Finals, of the 1994 NBA Finals, I don't really feel that bad anymore. I don't feel that bad anymore because I just don't, you know, because of what they did to the Knicks, obviously, in 1994, you know. But I'm not going to lie. You, you ask some of my close boys, I was hurting after the Warriors beat the Rockets in Game 6 of last year. And that's when Curry decided to take, to take matters into his own hands, you know, like... And every game in that series, similar to the Knicks and Rockets 1994 NBA Finals, every game in this series of the Rockets and Warriors last year was decided by six points or less. It's fucking epic. Like, and the whole James Harden not showing up and shit, like, it's getting annoying, man. I didn't want to hear that shit. You know, he showed up, he had 35 points and 11 assists. He made steals. He showed up in the fourth quarter. But what I'm not over the fact was the fact that the score was 102 to 100. And Harden hit a three to make it 102 to 100 because the score was 102 to 97. And Harden made it 102 to 100. 
and then they gotta stop, which is very rare. And all that's going on the court, he about to pull up for a three. And then they call this trash offensive foul on him because Draymond swears he's a Hall of Famer. Green flops. And then Curry said, I'm going to hit another three-pointer after that. That shit hurt. Because I really wanted Harden to win. I just love isolation scores. I love ball hogs. I love players that shoot anywhere from 40, 40 to 45% from the field. You know, he's played hard that series. Uh, the whole Rockets team, the whole that series was very hard fought. Uh, I haven't seen a series that competitive in a long time where every game was close. Mm. I can't think of them right now, but that was probably the most close, hard fought series we've seen in a while. And but even with me saying all that stuff about not feeling bad about the Rockets losing to the Warriors, back to back, heartbreaking fashion. Years, I wouldn't mind the Rockets winning at all this year because I still like James Harden. You know, a player with skill who practices his moves and all of that stuff, man. The man said it himself. That shit was funny. But I hope the league is back soon. You know, um, I remember that whole skills and practices and stuff. It was when uh, Giannis kept taking shots at James Harden. You know, if I sort of like that animosity. We need some of that animosity in the NBA, man. I don't need James Harden to tell me how much great of a great player Giannis is, and I don't need Giannis to say how great of a player James Harden. I don't need none of that shit, man. I don't. Don't need that. You know, uh, what I've been seeing recently is a lot about uh, Kwame Brown and like what his career was about. Uh, he had to deal with two alpha males, you know, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And I thought that's tough because you go from one hardcore leader and you're thinking like, oh man, can't stand Mike. He's annoying. He's this, he's that. Hopefully, LA is a change of scenery, you know. Now, we all know Kobe and his mindset now. We know he's a hard worker. But this is probably 03, 04, 05. We don't know how Kobe was as a leader at that point. Like, all of this stuff, like, was, we, didn't, we weren't able to process how he was as a leader until maybe about 2010, 2011. Like, all we knew about Kobe was the fact that he wanted to win and he patterned his game after Michael Jordan. And he wanted to win without Shaq. And him and Phil Jackson weren't on the same page for a while. So with that being said, you know, Kwame goes to LA, he gets traded. He figured, I can't be worse than it was with Michael Jordan. And it was probably the same situation. He's like, oh man, this is all he probably knows. You know, a lot of other players, they probably that would, you know, more accommodating, more understanding type of leadership, different kinds of leadership roles. But, you know, you got Kwame, you have to just deal with two alpha males that just demanded the best from you. But, you know, I, I think you, you demand the best out of a person, but you also got to figure out how to get the best out of a person or a player, you know. 
he never really got a different sense of leadership because it was just him flipping a coin. He got heads and he flipped a coin and he got tails, but it both meant the same exact shit, you know what I mean? Like the result was going to be the same regardless of how you flip that coin. You know, I mean, at least Kobe, like later on in his career, he realized that maybe he could have changed his leadership style to get the best out of his teammates. You know, at what point did Kwame Brown's confidence get shattered? Where was that window where it could have had a chance to be better? You know, like Kobe said that, yeah, I want to, I want to demand the best out of my players, but I had to figure out how to get the best out of him. I didn't realize that till later on in his career. And unfortunately, when Kobe was on his own, he felt like he was finally on his own, was when Shaq left. And he was still figuring that part out on how to become a leader. And that's part of the, and that's where Kwame Brown was at, was that time of Kobe's career, like 04, 05. And Kobe was still figuring that shit out. And, you know, Kwame Brown could have potentially been, you know, collateral damage in him figuring that stuff out. Not saying he didn't care about Kwame, but Kobe thought he, what he was doing at that time was probably the best for the team. And I think... You know, we need answers from Kwame's perspective because it's upsetting at the fact that we, really never, really, we never really got to find out who he could be as a player. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be a top five center of all time, but he could have been a 15 and 10 dude at least. Because after playing for the Lakers, he ended up on about five teams for the last five years, five years of his career. And maybe at some point he had some opportunities to redeem himself, but... I felt like once he left the Lakers, his reputation probably already preceded him. And, you know, it was safe to say that he never really got to hit that reset button in his career because, you know, he had to, Michael Jordan, Kobe, those are the two guys that they just want you to be on it, um, just to be on it 24-7, you know. But his best season was his third season, third season where he averaged 11 points and seven rebounds on 48% from the field. But stat-wise, it was downhill from there, but he averaged around seven points per game for his career. You know, but at the end of the day, Kwame Brown did have a 12-year career in the NBA. And that's still impressive because the average NBA career is about four years. You know, he's made ton of money I hope not looking to his contracts and stuff but I'm assuming he was paid well because he's in the NBA but he was one of the few players that were that were able to play with Mike and Kobe and also one of the few to be yelled by both of them you know but I hope he's in a good space and I think it's important to share his story like for him to share it not me just so he can help other athletes prepare for what's ahead of him you know, I'm not saying he wasn't mentally prepared, but being teammates with Kobe and Jordan can be it can be mentally daunting, especially at 18 years old. You know, Kobe at 18 years old was ready to take on the world. You know, so not everyone at 18 years old is ready to take on the world. I think the older Kobe got, he realized that not everyone is the wired the same way as him. I think he realized that very younger, but the older he got, I think. That's when he was actually able to process it properly. You know, um, with Kwame Brown speaking speaking out or giving his side of the story, it could give a, a give us a glimpse of how hard it is to make it to the NBA and stay in the NBA. 
Because you stayed in there for 12 years, man. It's not easy. You know, we think it's easy getting up and traveling and working out on a regular basis. People demanding things from you. Expecting things from you. Then you got to deal with the media. All the stuff that I'm saying is that this previous statement I just said is has nothing to do with Kwame Brown. But us seeing what Kwame Brown went through, his mindset, his surroundings, his expectations, it could help change people's perce uh, perception about him. Now, I know Stephen A. Smith called him a bona fide squirrel, but I, I think you have to take it on easy on Kwame Brown. You know, we've seen players that have played much worse in the NBA, but I'm not going to mention them. Because I'm not in the mood to be bashing anyone. But I'm just trying to set myself up and and hit him up and, and see what he says and see if he does hit me back. But I'm going to definitely try to you know, contact Comey Brown and see what's up. You know, But that that will be an interesting story. Just hearing Comey Brown's side of things for his first five or six years of his career. No, back on some Knicks news, though. Now, I also heard the Knicks are going to interview Kenny Atkinson, the former Nets coach. But I just want you to know that he was part of the Knicks staff during the Knicks tape Shumpert era. I would be pleased with that hire. Him and Mike Miller on the same staff, I'm cool with that. Now, I like the fact that Kenny Atkinson can develop players, and I think the Knicks can use that. You know, we got a lot of young players that we need to develop. And give him a proper chance to develop. You know, I like what Kenny Atkinson done with Spencer Dinwiddie and some of the other Nets players as of late. I like what they did. But I wonder what was the real reason that he got fired. Because he deserved a shot to coach the K's, man, like Kyrie and KD, but it is what it is. But I will say, if Jeff Van Gundy go there, I will be flabbergasted. And he is getting booed in the garden. It's simple math. Two plus two and two times two both equal four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We appreciate everything he did for us in the past. But if he joins the ops, that's it. He knows what he's getting into. He knows what he's getting into if he does that. I'd rather hear him ranting on TV than joining the Nets. I'm going to just keep it at that. Like, I don't want to hear, yo, y'all Knicks fans are so ungrateful. He led y'all to the finals. Like, shut up. We know that. But he knows what he's doing if he does that. It's very simple. You know, if Mark Jackson goes to the Nets, I'm okay with that. You know, I know Mark Jeff I know Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy, they're both in their hearts. Both of their hearts belong to the New York Knicks. You know, a lot of people's hearts belong to the New York Knicks than most people would think. But Jeff Van Gundy chill with that BK Flex dog. I'm not with that. You know, one thing I will say is I know that the NBA wants to pander and try some new things. And all I'm saying is if you want to try something, just try it now. You know, they're playing, they want to do this playing tournament like where the whole NBA is fighting for the last two seeds. It's a lot going on. You know, they're really trying to, they're trying to make this playoff. They're trying to make a thing with the playoffs. They have a playoffs within the playoffs type of thing. So you might have a lot of playoffs. And I mentioned that in one of the earlier podcasts that Shaq O'Neal said that Adam Silver is thinking about having new teams internationally. You know, Players thought that the West Coast road trip was daunting. 
But wait till they had these passports in 2028 when they got to hit the Euros for two weeks. I would be hella upset when there's a Nick. I got to watch a Knicks game at 7 a.m. because they're playing in Australia or something. Like, that's going to be tough, man, but not in a good way. And when I say tough, it either means really cool or actually difficult. You know. But once they put the endorsements on the jerseys, you know, it was telling sign it was a telling sign that the NBA was going a soccer route. And you know, shit's crazy. I'm not saying it's gonna happen. But I can sort of see it though. You know, the ad on the jersey wasn't as bad as I thought it was gonna be. But I guess cause I don't have a choice. And in this situation, I won't be in control either. No. In the end, you can only control what we can control, but we worry about so many things that we don't control. Only if it was that easy. You know, but I realized what I just said, with everything I just said, I didn't really explain the scenarios of the playoffs. You know, they are uh, talking about potentially the 7 through 12 season, the West Coast playing for the last two spots, or they're trying to create a, a 2018 tournament where the last two seeds, were the last seed of each conference, of the East and the Western Conference, are eliminated, so it's a 2018 playoff type of thing. So they have a lot of scenarios, but, but all these scenarios they're trying to have is basically uh, playoffs and another playoffs. And I'm pretty sure it's only just a tip out of the iceberg of what Adam Silver really wants, you know. So we're going to see how much this NBA thing going to change within the next decade. It's 2020. So when I'm about 40 in the 2030s, it's shit going to be looking a hell of a lot different, man. And it's going to be really hard to compare errors after the NBA makes all these changes, man. Uh... That's what I think, but I, I want to be wrong in one of these situations. I want them to remain in the 1-8, to 1-8, to eight. East versus West. I still like that shit. I don't care if the NBA All-Star game and the Western Conference always beats the Eastern Conference. I don't care about that shit, man. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with watching that. This whole captain shit, they be capping, man. It's not even all that. Jersey's are stupid trash. Like at least before, if a game, the All-Star game was in Phoenix, they got like a cactus and shit. If the game was in Utah, they got the fucking mountains and shit. Like, it's very theme-oriented. Now it's just East, West, Team, like, ooh, team LeBron, Team... I'm not buying those trash jerseys. The only All-Star jerseys I've seen being legit worn is the All-Star jerseys from the 90s and 80s, early 2000s. The other new shit is trash. Well, and um, hopefully, you know, hopefully they 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 go back to the fire jerseys and, and I guess get more vintage with it because people love the vintage jerseys, you know. But I just got a notification that the NHL they just canceled their regular season, and they're gonna have a twenty fourteen playoffs. And I find that very interesting, but I don't know how the layout is gonna be. I don't know how they're gonna do it moving forward. But uh, I hope the NBA just don't go straight into the playoffs. Um, or if they do, if they do something similar, I just want to. I just want it to be in a way where, you know, Portland got a chance to be in the playoffs. Cause I got to see my guy Melo get a crack at a ring. 
I know the NBA wants Zion to make the playoffs for revenue purposes, but I would love to see the Blazers get a crack at it. It would be nice. That's all I got to say for on it right now because I'm pretty sure that more details will break out. Other scenarios are going to break out. I know Mark Cuban is saying some things. I know Spencer Dinwiddie is saying some things. So there's a lot of proposals out there, and we're just going to have to wait and see. And the more scenarios that come out, you know, we can sit down and break down each one, one by one for sure. And I'm excited to do that. You know, but with that being said, uh, that's all I got for today. You know, I'm going to head up out of here. You know, you guys be safe. And, and let's all try to be the best human beings we can as possible and treat each other how we all want to be treated. And uh, this is your host, Capjack F. You know, please say the F. And this is episode 24, and I'm out. You know, deuces quattro.